I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalong. FM 104. Joel Curry. Sorry, it's uh, Cormac here on FM 104 this evening. Uh, still to come for you on the show, we'll be catching up with Jarlett Regan just after, well, it is 10 past 11 already, look at that. Uh, in a few minutes' time, in about uh, five minutes' time, he'll be on the show. Also, there is a gentleman who is developing a bionic eye. So if you do go blind or you have bad vision, you'll be able to take out your eye and put this uh, mechanical device into your eye, which is a lens on it that attaches with a wire to the back of your eye that links in with the, your optic nerve and the fibres there and will send images directly back to your brain. And it, it looks insane, but it looks like we're going to be able to soon maybe eradicate blindness by updating your own self with some uh, technology. So uh, he is from the University of Hong Kong. He'll be on a little bit later on to explain how and why and what's going on with that. Uh, I asked a little question a little bit earlier on. I just wanted to know if you'd seen this story of a guy who, who has climbed something ridiculous on his stairs at home. Myself and Saoirse climbed the Empire State Building on Friday. It was fairly tough. We both couldn't walk for a while. But this guy, he, he did something insane. I think it was for, for a charity fundraiser over in the UK. He climbed up his stairs and did the equivalent height of what? 0876797104. Wasn't it Burj Khalifa? Ando says, was it to the moon? You did say it was insane. He'd probably still be going to the moon. What is the distance to the moon now? Not, not a bad guess. It wasn't the moon, Anto, unfortunately. Um, but distance to the moon, but it would technically be the closest place on Earth to the moon. 384,000 kilometers to the moon. A long time. No, a few people got it right. Brian, good evening. What's the story? And Lady got back in there with the correct answer as well. Uh, he did, yeah, he did, of course, climb Mount Everest on his stairs. I feel like such a loser now. We did the Empire State Building on Friday. We're dead chuffed with ourselves, patting each other on the back. Can you imagine climbing the height of Mount Everest uh, on your own stairs? As what it was, about 30,000 feet. I wonder how many steps that was, but absolute insanity. Now, listen, the only thing, you know, the only thing is, it's slightly easier climbing it, you know, at lower levels. You never have to deal with any of the oxygen deprivation, right? So that's my excuse. It's not that impressive. Now, listen, insanely impressive. Um, I'll get you the guy's name now, but if you just kind of do, uh, Google him. He climbed up Mount Everest from his own stairs in his gaff. Absolutely fair play to him. And still to come on the show, as I mentioned, we'll be chatting to the bionic eyeball man. On the way next, though, we'll be chatting to the man behind the hugely successful Irishman Abroad series, Mr. Charlotte Regan. He's on the way next. This is Room 104 with Cormac and Sersha. FM 104. Joining me on the line now is uh, someone you've heard of before. We've chatted to him before. He is an Irish comedian. He's also one of the top Irish podcasters in the country. And dare I say it, in the world, you've been going at this for a long time. Uh, from an Irishman abroad, Mr. Charlotte Regan, how are you? 
How are you doing, Cormac? Cuts the crack. Not much, man. How's uh, how's life and lockdown been treating you? Well, it's tricky. I mean, there's no no two ways about it. Everybody's adjusting, and some days are better than others. That's the that's the fact of it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Some days I'm loving life, and other days you kind of like, listen, I'm just going to stay in bed for six more hours. I, I, I just don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to be bothered today, right? So um, yeah, well, like to be honest with you, I I would be a big advocate of no matter what get out of bed <laughs> that's always my thing uh, that like even when yeah. I'm feeling shocked and I think I talked to you about this before and you were like these guys nuts <laughs> if ever there was a guy who is <laughs> sociopath this guy getting up at five in the morning to write jokes but honestly I will drag myself by the hair down to uh, just to get into the world rather than stay looking at the ceiling. And that is from a mental health perspective. Getting the juice moving, that's that's the key for me. That's really interesting because I know you're you're an ambassador for Jigsaw. You might talk a little bit um, about that specific role mm. and the work you're doing with them in a, in a few minutes' time, but there's always the trope and the stereotype of, you know, comedians being, let's say, you know, dark and depressed and blah, 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 and some of that might be true for some people and it's obviously not true for everyone else. But the one thing I've learned mm. from speaking with people like yourself and from doing comedy in, in, in different ways, you decided to kind of pursue uh, not a normal nine to five. You said, I'm going to do comedy and I'm going to go out and I'm going to give this podcast thing a go. I'm sure that there was probably some difficult, low, challenging points where you were probably having conversations with yourself and other people where you're like, why, why did I decide to do this? What happens mm. to you when you, you know, what were some of the, maybe the challenges along the way of making An Irishman Abroad become as successful as it is and making your comedy become as successful as it is? What were some of the more challenging moments that you've had? And then what did you find helped kind of pick you out and pick you back up from those moments? Probably the most challenging moment along the way has been the Christmas party, the <laughs> visit with the in-laws, the uh, <laughs> moments when you look to outside people who don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who's pursued something that's anyway unusual, whether it's starting your own business or even just taking a job with a company nobody's heard of mm. or even something a little more off the beaten track like deciding I'm going to be a poet. Uh, the second you take your uh, fragile little ambition to someone who doesn't know how to handle it, they can break it on you. And I found those the hardest times because when I was in my own head and I was able to stay focused on what I wanted to do uh, and be around the people that believed that that was possible, that was a doable thing, uh, I was fine. But I found the hardest parts were where you try to actually explain the mad thing you were doing to people that had no experience of it. And I'm sure a lot of people are feeling this now when they're in the close quarters with their families, that sometimes they they can be the worst ones to talk to about what it is you'd like to do when it's something unusual like comedy or podcasting. Like I literally remember telling relations that I was starting a podcast and they were like, well, what's that now? <laughs> and I was like, it's a, <laughs> like when you say it out loud, you realize how crazy it is. It was like back in 2012, they were like, what's that now? And I go, it's a free radio show. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to only hear it on the internet. They were like, and how do you make money off that? And at the time, I didn't know. Yeah. And 
I think when you're pursuing something you really want to do, there's a leap of faith involved. There really is. Where did you get that strength to go for? Because I know so many people, like if you're listening right now, as Charlotte said, you might have plans to do something that's slightly different. And I don't know if it's an Irish thing where people are like, how oh, would you cop on and just get a real job that involves a chainsaw and a hammer or the civil <laughs> service? You know, that kind of way. Uh, and then you have to try yeah. and... You know, as soon as you met that, it struck a chord with me as well because I've had those conversations <laughs> with other people where you're like, no, no, I'm good to go. But how do you, how did you manage your own head then when you're faced with that, those kind mm. of, and I, I think one, yeah, it's Irish, but I think it might be a concerned, there's some positivity behind that because it's like, would you not, you know, look after yourself and make sure you're, you're able to provide for yourself and those kind of things. So how did you navigate that space? Oh, um, I would say that a big part of it, big part of it is for like everyone's different. Okay, yeah. let's start there. Like everyone's different. Okay, and there's no right or wrong way. And uh, definitely, I've learned this across the 400 or so episodes of stuff that I've produced. I used to always ask people, "What's the one piece of advice you can stand by?" But all anybody's telling you when they give you advice is what they do. Yeah. If they were you. But they're not you. And they don't know you. And they don't know what you are capable of or where your passion is or what it feels like to have that passion. And I think I was really aware of that, probably because my dad had taken a kind of a mad leap into, uh, at a very young age, choosing to leave Ireland at like 13 years old. And that was kind of written into our family history that he'd done this mad thing yeah. and the gamble had paid off. Um, but going back to that feeling of, well, you don't know me. <laughs> Getting, get, having a belief in yourself or at least a belief that there's a quietness and a stillness in you that from your perspective is worthwhile and valuable but that is a big that's a big one to get to isn't it Cormac? like actually re- recognizing value in yourself because uh, that's that's the kind of clincher if you can have that belief or self-worth uh you, you can kind of manage things and i definitely have had moments of real self-doubt and sometimes you think that that self-doubt is essential and normal uh, for a creative person and for anyone, because if you don't doubt yourself, uh, your work is going to be very uh, 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 unscrutinized and uh, you basically release the first draft and go, well, I believe in myself. Whereas if it's gonna be good, you're gonna need to be tough on it. So I think for me was recognizing that when my mind says, that's no good. It's not saying uh, you're no good. It's saying you have an ambition to achieve more. And separating those two things and seeing the inner voice, not as a critical voice, but more of an ambitious yeah. driving force. No, I like that because I suppose you're never going <clears> to, <throat> you're never going to, you know, the Godfather wasn't spat out on a first draft. You know what I mean? It takes a, an awful no, lot of iterations to kind of get it right. And you mm-hmm. have to, you have to start and you have to churn out. I think what I've learned from, from doing comedy over the last few years, and I remember reading a really good book about this, is that when you're writing jokes, you have to prepare and expect for nine out of 10 of them to be terrible. And that's okay because you might be able to polish a few turds along the way for, for want of a better word <laughs> yeah, well it's a handful of darts at the dartboard yeah. I reckon with any type of creative stuff whether it's songwriting or 
uh, jokes. Uh, I, I think that you grow in uh, with age, uh, with your confidence in your intuition, and that's I think. You know, when you bring up jigsaw, uh, uh, I think the recognition of it is hard to be a young person and not have that intuition and not have the kind of fallback yeah. of knowing, well, I've been in a similar situation to this before and when I trust my gut, it tends to work out. When I don't uh, follow the crowd and I, I I know what an intuition or a feeling is, uh, you know, you, it's hard. It's hard to be a young person without that knowledge. Uh, I interviewed Ardell O'Hanlon just recently and he told me about struggling uh, with anxiety prior to going on stage for a long, long time, kind of uh, throwing up and feeling real self-doubt and uh, remarkably feeling more confident uh, now at this point in his life than at any other point, uh, partially because he re- recognised that that was his body preparing to perform mm-hmm. at its best and partially because, you know, he trusts his gut now. He's like, well... Yeah. You know, I, I believe it's funny, so <laughs> on we go. And uh, not, uh, not kind of relying on the outside approval of others, knowing in your heart that you did what you felt was right. When and how did you come across Jigsaw and why did you uh, get involved with them? Well, I guess I'd known about Jigsaw's workshops through communities, across communities in Ireland for some time. And uh, then a, a kind of friend of theirs uh, got in touch with me and said that, you know, the Irishman abroad would be a fantastic way to raise awareness of them because I guess there's a big crossover between what Jigsaw do and the type of conversations that I have with people. That One of the many through lines in my interviews are, uh, you know, emotion, doubt, anxiety, uh, mental health, feelings of uh, frustration, loss, uh, defeat. I mean, not everyone can relate to A.P. McCoy winning the Grand National or being Mm. champion jockey all those years. But everyone can relate to falling down, hitting the deck and having to get back up. So that is where I tended to bring my conversations to. And somebody, a friend of Jigsaw's, got in touch and was like, well, you know, you, you, you could raise these guys up and make them kind of a charity partner of the show. And in so doing, kind of point people who've enjoyed these conversations towards a place that recognizes and identifies the value in talking about these things and educating young people. Like so many of my guests have talked about wishing that they had been schooled or at least assisted in developing the mental health skills required to just survive life. And it just seemed like the perfect fit. And since the lockdown, I've been doing everything in my power to just point people in that direction, whether they need help or whether they have young people in their life who mightn't be saying much, but could probably do with having a look at jigsawonline.e. Yeah, definitely. And I know there's a ton of stuff there. If you are young and looking for some help and advice, but also if you're a parent or a guardian or you're wondering how you can help mm. a young person in your house, there's tons of information up there that can help you as well. So there's, they're kind of trying to cover all the all the, uh, all the the angles here. So without throwing uh, your own question um, back to you, what's been your, uh, if you could give someone one single piece of advice, what would you uh, say? Oh, I've been asked this a few times and uh, I think one of the reasons why I, I, 
I kind of dropped the question was because there is no one single piece of advice. And when you go looking for it, and if that's what you're seeking out is others telling you uh, how to do things, then you're on to a wrong one. Uh, That for me, it's all experience and kind of recognizing that. And even in teaching my young nine-year-old boy this, that we try and keep it level, that if if things are great, uh, try and keep it a level, a kind of a centeredness to yeah. it. Because if things are bad, uh, if you treat them both the same, you you won't get, uh, you won't be able to move from either situation as easily. Recognizing that both pass, both pass, both of those things are going to pass, and that all you can do is kind of be present and uh, be uh, aware of what each feeling is like because there isn't as Jerry Seinfeld said in his recent most recent special there isn't a huge difference between sucks and great there really isn't they're really right next door to each other you know you go and you get a burger from uh, Wow Burger and it's great <laughs> and it's gone and all of a sudden it sucks <laughs> they're really so close together uh, that you kind of you can't allow either to affect you in a major way and if you can in some way get to that I think you can kind of survive most things. Charlotte Regan from An Irishman Abroad, you'll see him on a comedy stage somewhere when we all get back to normal and an ambassador for Jigsaw. Listen, it's been a pleasure man, we'll chat you again soon. Thanks, have a good one, see ya. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Uh, did he climb the equivalent to Mount Everest? He did, in fact, climb the equivalent. No, sorry, not Charlotte. Sorry, this comes in from uh, Annie. We were asking a question. A guy over in the UK uh, took it upon himself to climb up and down his stairs a significant amount of times. The equivalent height of Mount Everest he climbed. I thought myself and Saoirse were doing well last Friday. <laughs> climbing the Empire State Building but no no he had to go and ruin it he did for charity as well so no yeah insane amount of stairs uh, still to come before the end of the show you're going to hear from a man who's developing a bionic eye that'll be able to link directly into your retina at the back of your head and connect directly to your brain so a camera will be able to connect to your brain in a bionic eye and make you see again so that's on the way shortly also a woman who thinks that the hospitality sector is going to be seeing more robot servants in light of COVID-19 and people being worried about coming into contact with other humans. So she'll be on the way shortly. First, here's Dermot Kennedy, All My Friends. It's FM 104. All My Friends. Come back here in room 104. So she's going to, on a day off this evening, she'll be back tomorrow. Don't worry. Happy days. On the way, uh, very shortly, in the next few minutes, you're going to be hearing from someone who thinks your next hotel experience might be staffed by more robots. So I would love to know, would you feel comfortable? Would you enjoy Would you enjoy going on a hotel, a weekend breakaway, if you're being checked in and served by robots? This is apparently coming faster than, than usual because of the coronavirus pandemic that apparently to alleviate, alleviate people's fears of coming into contact with different infections, more hotels around the world are looking into um, implementing different robotic automated systems and using robot servers and robot front of house staff to kind of check you in and get you there. Would it be something you'd be alright with? Would you be like, oh, happy days, robots? Or would it ruin the entire, I don't know, it might ruin the entire hotel experience. Let me know. Would you go to a hotel staffed by robots? 087-679-7104. It might be coming sooner rather than later. Anyway, to explain a little bit more, she uh, is a lecturer in hospitality and tourism over in Surrey. Dr. Tracy Zoo, she is on the way next year. This 
is Room 104 with Cormac and Saoirse. FM 104. It's Room 104. It's uh, Cormac here this evening. Get in touch. Let me know what you're at. And uh, are you? what's the number one thing you're looking forward to getting back to as soon as all of the lockdown restrictions are lifted? I know might be going back to the gym for some people, maybe not for you. Might be going back and getting your hair done. Uh, or going to the barbers or going for a pint and maybe you're just looking forward to a weekend away in a hotel where there's a nice spa and you can relax and get some drinks and just not leave the room for the entire day. What is the future of the hospitality sector going to look like now that there's going to be restrictions in place? Uh, maybe it's going to be a future where there might be, might be uh, robots serving you your drinks um, and robots checking you in and maybe automated services like that are going to become a bigger part of the hospitality sector. So uh, some people looked into this over in the University of uh, uh, University of Surrey in the School of Hospitality and Tourism looking at the impact of hotels well, we shouldn't really say employing robots but looking at the impact that it might have over the next while and would you, would you be comfortable, would you enjoy your hotel stay if you were being checked in and served by a weird robot? Right, let me know. Drop me WhatsApp 0876797104 to talk about the study and the impact that hotels uh, are going to have uh, around here and around the world over the next couple of years because of the pandemic and maybe we'll see a few more robots. Lead author of that study, Dr. Tracy Sue. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. Listen, thanks a million for popping on um, mm-hmm. this evening. Can you, can you explain a little bit about, obviously, well, the hospitality sector right now is one of the worst hit uh, industries in the world because of the lockdown, because there's no tourism, there's no even leaving you know, your home and uh, hotels around the world are just closed down. Mm-hmm. What did you, what were you looking at with this study, the latest study? That you did. Uh, um, so I believe that this study could offer some help to the future uh, hotel industry um, mm. because um, our study found that service robot uh, could could be the future of the hospitality industry uh, because uh, because of the lockdown that uh, human. Human beings are fear of the interaction, the um, human touch. So, service robot could help the uh, our customers to deal with those issues, to um, get rid of the uh, infections, to reduce infections, and service robots can uh, help the customers to like uh, have the uh, some kind of human um, human service, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was out for a walk earlier on, went down to get a coffee, and everyone is still, you know, literally jumping onto the other side of the road now when you're passing them. And you know, everyone is trying to keep that two meters of distance and not, you know, trying not to touch anyone or, or make contact with anyone. So yeah. it's funny, like six months ago, this would have been a hilarious idea, and people would have said, ah, never. But now, as you said, mm. that fear of infection is now driving a completely a different change. But are we seeing, or are, do you know of any hotels that are already or have already started to implement robotics and, and different things like that? Um, I think that in China there are several hotels are implementing service robots uh, to um, uh, to reduce uh, to reduce the social di- uh, I mean to like um, reduce the social distancing Mm. I mean, yeah, so in China or uh, some other countries in Asia, uh, like Japan, they use service robots during the lockdown uh, to uh, reduce the in, uh, infections. So uh, I'm not sure in the UK, uh, because all, all the hotels are um, in lockdown right now, right? Yeah. So, 
So, uh, I hope that in the future, uh, in the UK or in Ireland, uh, the hotels in uh, the, the hotels can implement the um, service robots to uh, deal with those issues. Yeah. Um, what kind of jobs will the robots be doing? Um, for example, uh, front of the house, such as serving the um, serving food and drinks, you know, uh, or the back of the house, such as uh, doing the cooking. <laughs> yeah, uh, or um, like self checking. Uh, right. Or, okay. Or help to, to deal with the um, housekeeping. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I just try trying to you know imagine a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like that where a hotel, you know, it's all about friendly personal service, and I know there is that obviously fear at the moment of uh, of human interaction and touch. But do you think it would be something that would would take on <clears throat> on mass scale? Let's say in if <clears throat> and when we get a, a vaccination, or if and when this thing goes away and dies down, do you think that yeah. you know it's something that would actually take on six months to a year down the line? Um. I wouldn't say that in six months or a year uh, that uh, I don't know whether a vaccine will be implemented uh, in six months or a year. Maybe uh, this kind of situation could could develop in maybe two or three years. So maybe... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
been two or three years, people still want the social distancing. Uh, mm. uh, people want, still want to keep the uh, social distancing like uh, two meters away. So uh, I would say um, that in two or three years, people uh, don't want uh, the touch uh, with each other in the hospitality industry. So maybe service robot could help uh, in this way. Um, and yeah. what are some of the maybe obviously the positives that you looked at and exposed are obviously maybe things like uh, uh, helping to implement social distancing. Maybe it helps with uh, keeping people uh, feeling a little bit mm-hmm. safer. Are there any downsides? I mean, surely having a load of uh, robots, I imagine it's going to be expensive for hotels. Yeah, what would be some of the drawbacks yeah there, there are some uh there are many challenges uh of evolving service robots such as maybe there will be uh, technical issues uh such as the breakdown of the robots yeah uh yeah or the financial issues financial cost um and uh also the managers need to keep up with the changes in technology yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the the te- the technology is evolving. So managers need to keep up with the, those changes, and um, also the employees need to understand how to deploy service robots. So those are those would be the challenges that yeah. the hotel managers need to think about. I've seen, uh, I think it was at a CES, that consumer electronics show over in, in the United States a year or two ago and, and a few other places online. Uh, you know, they're doing uh, fully automated bars. Uh, there's there's cock, nearly cocktail robotic barmen uh, or bar people or whatever. Um, and front of house, as you said, check in. There's a few places in Japan and China, which I think, which I think do it. But uh, on a personal question then, uh, uh, Tracy, would you enjoy going to a hotel that was staffed by robots? Well, uh, for me, um, maybe uh, I still want some human touch. If I go to the hotel, uh, I still want to see human rather than robots. Um, um, so, for example, if I go to um, go go to the luxury hotels. Yeah. Uh, I would want uh, some human humans to uh, interact with me, but may- maybe for the budget hotels, when the uh, service is standardized, then the robot right, yeah. could come in to uh, to bring their value. You know. Yeah, yeah. If it's a yeah. much more uh, quicker check-in and check-out kind of process, yeah. I imagine you probably you could be, it wouldn't be too difficult, maybe, to, to automate that and, and, and to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, well, listen, uh, Dr. Tracy, see you. Thanks a million for. Pa- oh, actually, before I let you go, you're obviously yeah. been studying the industry and you've been you're working in that industry for, for the last time. What uh-huh. do you think uh, hotels need to do to prepare themselves for the reopening and to you know survive the next couple of months? Uh, for the next couple of months, uh, I because uh, right now is the uh, lockdown, so the hotel managers could use this time to uh, engage with their employees a lot. Uh, they could do like make the virtual meetings with their employees to engage themselves. Uh, also, the hotel uh, the managers can uh, re 
reskill or upskill the employees, such as help them to learn a new foreign language during this time, or help them uh, like uh, to learn software that employees want to use in the future, so that to upskill uh, the employees, so that they can have a bright future. Yeah, so this will be my answer. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, thanks a million for giving up your your time this evening, and who knows, we might have a future of hotel robots in the very in yeah. the very near future. <laughs> um, but Dr. Tracy Zhu from the University of Surrey's School of Hospitality and Tourism, thank you so much for popping on FM One Hundred and Four. Thank you so much. That's Lizzo. Good as hell. It's Cormac here on FM One Hundred and Four this evening. Get in touch. Oh eight seven six seven nine seven one zero four. And so, good evening. I couldn't go to a hotel without having to get my key card reset at least twice over a weekend. Now you want to make it more automated. Apologies, yeah. Want to make it more automated? Just chatting to uh, Dr. Tracy's you there, who uh, thinks that more hotels are going to start implementing front of house robots. Literally, worker robot bees so that people won't be afraid to come in and to help comply with social distancing and things like that. So you're going to have robots checking you in, robots serving you your food and your drink. Who knows? Listen, uh, uh, that injury will be up on the podcast very, very shortly. On the way next, if you go blind, obviously in the past it was... Uh, just something that you had to learn to live with and something that you had to learn to adjust with and deal with. And there are many, you know, ways that you can do that successfully and happily. There are a lot of people who are working on creating bionic eyes, something out of a science fiction movie, but it's getting closer every single day. We're going to go over to the University of Hong Kong where there's researchers who are literally working on a prototype bionic eye that'll be able to connect to the nerve cells and your optic nerve at the back of your eye and send digital pictures into your brain that you will be able to see clearly from. Bionic eyes, there are uh, things in the future that are available to you right now. He is on the way next here on Room 104. This is Room 104 with Cormac and Saoirse. FM 104. It's Room 104. You're listening to uh, Cormac here this evening. Saoirse's off. You can get in touch. 87 Now, I suppose uh, we're all uh, getting to see this, the power of technology at the moment. I'm sitting here in my front room broadcasting as normal because we can do magic things with various different pieces of equipment. Maybe you're working from home. Uh, maybe you're not. But there is a lot of amazing stuff, amazing technology that, that we have out there. And on the fringes of that are certain people who are trying to restore people's sight and develop bionic eyes. People who are doing that, there's a lot of people all over the world. One of the leading ones who are making amazing, astonishing breakthroughs is over in the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Joining me on the line now to explain a little bit more about their bionic eye, how it works, how it might work in the future. Uh, Professor Zee Young Fan, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm fascinated to talk to you because I I, I think um, and I hope that in our lifetime that we might be able to restore sight for blind people. So can you explain a little bit about your bionic eye and uh, what you hope to achieve with it? Yes. So basically um, our device is a bio-inspired image sensor. So it's mimicking the shape, the structure of a human eye. So, you know, it's a spherical device. It has a lens in the front. And on the back side, we have a retina. So it's a hemispherical retina. So the structure is very similar to our human eye, uh, including inside the cavity, we have a ionic liquid to uh, mimic our um, viscous humor in our, in our eye. And on the back side of our eye, our uh, bionic eye, we have... Uh, flexible um, liquid metal fibers as a uh, conductive electrodes to uh, transmit a signal from the eye to the computer. 
So uh, that's the basic structure of our eye. And we're hoping um, one day we can use our eye to uh, help the people uh, have, uh, uh, for example, visual impairment. And what stage of your research is it at the moment? Have you have you tested it as of yet? or And, and how far away are, is it from being used on a human? Well, uh, in this work, we demonstrated um, a prototype of the bionic eye. So it can work very well, as uh, you have read from our paper. Um, we tested uh, the imaging functionality, and we tested response speed and also sensitivity of a human eye. So as a device, it, it can already... Uh, work pretty well with a uh, computer, with the software. Um, but of course, we need a further revision and uh, optimization in order to use it on human body. You know, we have to solve a number of issues. For example, so-called uh, biocompatibility issue. So mm. we have to use, uh, we have to replace some of the materials we are using right now uh, with more biocompatible materials. So um, our plan is the next step. Uh, collaborate with uh, life science scientists uh, to work together. Um, uh, to, for, for example, we need to do this uh, in vitro experiment to see the interaction between uh, our sensor and the neuron outside the human body. And of course, next step, we want to do the animal test. So, for example, we can test it on uh, uh, mice and monkeys and and see whether it can restore the uh, vision capability of this animal. Then uh, we'll proceed to the clinical trial on humans. So each step will take uh, uh, maybe a couple of years. Yeah, of course. And in, in the trials with animals, I'm just trying to figure out how you envisage and hope that it will work. So with the bionic eye, let's say you were to implant it into... Uh, into me, for example, is it ultimately going to connect directly to the to the brain, or does it have to go like from the eye to a computer to the brain, or how does that link work? Well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, in this paper, we demonstrate that the eye has to communicate with the computer just to show the functionality. Mm. But uh, in order to use on the human body, it will be very inconvenient. So if we have another device, interface device, computer, for example. So actually, our design is already able, in terms of design, is already able to work with our human eye without any additional wiring, without the computer interface at all. Because uh, in our eye, if you read our paper carefully, there's a structure that on the back side, we have a metal electrode sticking out. So that metal electrode can interface with our uh, nerve fibers on our existing retina. So with that, we can interface and we can interface with our brain already. Yeah, that's uh, phenomenal and absolutely amazing. That That's where we're at with technology. So do you think um, in your lifetime that blindness will become a thing of the past? Oh, of course. <laughs> I'm not talking about something uh, 20, 30, you know, 50 years. I'm talking something uh, much quicker than that. Do you think maybe in the next five or ten we could have something like what you're working on, your bionic eye, even as a prototype, working in, in certain trials? Yes, that's uh, already on our plan. Uh, I have discussions, extensive discussion with my colleagues, um, my co-workers. And we made a plan, as I mentioned briefly, uh, mm. at least we have to go through three steps. Um, so if everything on track, we can get to the human or clinical try around the five years. Of course, you know, we have to be very careful, right, because we are dealing with a human subject. 
Yeah. So maybe the third step will take a bit longer time. And after that, even the test is finished, you know, all these, uh, um, like FEA, et cetera, et cetera, they have to get a certificate. So that might take uh, quite a few years. Listen, it's absolutely fascinating. And it's a fascinating area of science and technology. But we'll, we'll leave it there from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, who's looking at developing and is currently developing a bionic eye that might be able to restore sight in a number of people. Professor Ziyong Fang, thanks a million for speaking with us on FM104 this evening. You're very welcome. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.